J.T. Crowley is Talking Books. On this show, you'll hear from emerging talent and seasoned veterans from around the world. They'll give you their take on the writing process and how to create the secret sauce of page-turning deliciousness. Let's get into that magical mixture of the art and science of creativity. Here's J.T. Crowley, author of The Smart Kids and your podcast host. Hello. I'm J.T. Crowley, and today I'm talking to Steve Washtel from Washington Heights in New York City about his book, Sandlot Poet, which is a book of 64 free verse poems about life in general with a nod to the streets of New York, where he has lived for all of his life. He was born in Brooklyn and lived there until he was nine when the family moved to Long Island. Brooklyn, in his youth, was a little United Nations, a cosmopolitan of nations. Its rich tapestry of life left an indelible mark on him. Steve has worked as a psychiatric social worker for more than 50 years, something he and his wife, Maxine, both enjoyed doing and still do it to this day, everybody. His family were avid readers, so books have been at the very heart of his life But it wasn't until 1976, sitting in a New York park, did the inspiration of writing poems come to him. Since then, he has written eight poetry books and seven children's books. So, without me waffling on any further, let's invite him on the show to talk about himself and his book, Sunlock Poet. Steve Watchill, come and join me. Thank you, John. Good to be here. Uh, it's a huge pleasure to be chatting to you because uh, New York is very dear to my heart. My late, my late mother came from New York and the streets of New York, you know, when I looked at your poetry book, oh, they just hit the page and just come to life. They really, really do. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Oh, I, I'm, I'm very much a chauvinistic New Yorker. I've lived here all my life, as you said, and there's much to be enjoyed here in terms of cultures, different uh, ideas, and it's very important. So, Steve, um, before we actually open the book, uh, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, your background, your childhood, and, sure. what, and why poetry? Uh, in terms of my background, as you mentioned earlier, I, I was born in Brooklyn and grew up in Brooklyn to the age of nine, then to Long Island. And I was very fortunate to be in the in two, two ways, two ways. One was to be in the Farmingdale School District in Long Island and had very fine teachers there who emphasized writing and expression. And uh, that really was very helpful to me because that was, that was something that was in, in Britain, I think, to some extent. Also, my mother and father were avid readers and they encouraged me to write. They weren't writers themselves, but encouraged me to write. And uh, I wasn't terribly successful at first, certainly, because writing, I think, is a process and you have to learn it. But the teachers in, in the public school really helped me a great deal and influenced my uh, future development. Your father, I believe, was uh, loved the genre science fiction. Yes, my father had... In, in the basement of our home, he had all these old standing science fiction and, and Asimov, Asimov's science fiction. And I read very often in the basement, I would sit there reading it and discussing with him afterwards. 
he was very knowledgeable in science in general. He was, actually, he was knowledgeable in almost everything. He was, he was a brilliant man. And uh, it influenced me very much because he had a great vocabulary, which really helped me along. And he encouraged me to continue writing. In fact, he even typed up some of my writing, which I sent out to be published. And of course, it was totally rejected at first. But it encouraged me to keep going. Absolutely. That's the whole gift of, you know, if you're, if you're going to write books, is to keep going and keep going. That's just life. If you've got a dream, follow it, but you've got to keep going. Don't worry about the setbacks. They're just minor knocks. You've got to keep forward and keep positive. That's what, really? absolutely, that's what I do in life, and that's what everybody else who's successful does, keeps going. Now, Steve, um, so that people can get a flavour of your poetic verses, may I suggest that both you and I read some of the poems to people, to the listeners, so they can get a glimpse of, you know, into your poetic world of, of life in general. And, of course, life on the streets of New York, seen through your eyes. At the end of the reading, would you care to reveal the message within the poem and why you felt it was so necessary to put that particular poem into the book. So there are 64 free verse poems in this book, everybody. So Steve's going to read four. I'm going to read four. And he's just going to talk to us about the eight poems. That's the best way we can do this podcast, everybody, so you can get a flavour of what this book is about, rather than us two going on and on. Let's listen to the poems. So, Steve, would you do me the great pleasure of starting off with... Uh, the poem, A Different Glory. My pleasure. I was a terrible little eager, one hit in three years, but I stayed eager to try and stay with my peers, some of whom went on to Sandlot glory days were looked upon as gods to be praised for the ability to strike a round ball with a round bat. Truly a feat denied those like me, not an athlete all-star, in fact. But today, I made some hits to cheers at least in my mind, in a different sport that fits me better, where I'm inclined to weave words in my peculiar way into rhymes and schemes that together have their say, pleasing myself and others, it seems. So I'll never be in the Hall of Fame and no frosty and all-star, I know it. At least now I'm in the game, truly and finally, a Sandlot poet. So what is a Sandlot poet? Basically, a sandlot player is someone who plays locally. They play uh, catch-up games, and they're very often talented people, but not on the level of going to professional or even semi-professional, really. So a sandlot poet to me is someone who has some ability, but is not like Robert Frost, for example, or, or those in the Hall of Fame, as far as I'm concerned. So it's someone who basically can put words together to please himself and others. And uh, well, they've become famous. Perhaps they they will have their say. There, I know. I, I loved it. There, the two uh, lines that the kickstart the book. I was a terrible little leaguer, one hit in three years. What's a little leaguer? You know, for us non-Americans, what's a little leaguer? Little league baseball in America is for people basically from age eight to. Uh, Let's say 16 sometimes, different, different levels, of course. And they welcome almost everybody from a local area. You can join and you play different, about 12 to 15 games a year, probably. 
uh, on, on sand lots in the area. And uh, you basically uh, enjoy the game with, the, with the other young people of your age. Ah, got it. So, so let's move on to Morning Becomes Electric. Would you care to read that one for us? Yes, certainly. I'd be pleased to. I wake each early morning to the song of a cardinal, the song of a blue jay, the twittering of their performing, giving sweetness to the start of all my many hopes for the day. The rising sun pauses too to listen. All is harmony for that short space. And I stretch, feeling old bones become new again. Gray hairs glisten, and all things stolen by time, I bemoaned, briefly return, and my life is graced. Why that poem? Basically, I always liked the poem "Wanting to Become Electra," uh, and I think that it was a takeoff on that to some degree. Also, the morning time for me is a time when I'm relaxed. Generally, I'm waking to the sun, waking to the sound of the birds, and every possibility is still open at that time. Nothing is 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 prevented. Nothing is too hard to, to accomplish. And I think it, it's, it inspires me to move on and, and to, to, to my, do the best of my day. Where do you write your poems? I mean, do, do you, or where do you think them up? Is it in a park bench? Is it on the subway? Is it on the streets? Or is it in your apartment looking out the window? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it's all <laughs> the places. I've, I've written poems in my head, walking to places. I've written poems sitting on a bench. I've written poems... Uh, in the bathroom, <laughs> to be honest. And uh, I do a lot of the writing in my head to some degree. Then I go to my iPad and I really stretch it out and, and polish it. Wow. Because everybody's different, aren't they, when they write poems? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I'm going to read, everybody, uh, one of Steve's poems, and it's called Begone and Begun. Where have all the loving folk, kinfolk of my youth gone? All to ghost town. I see them only in passing dreams and a bittersweet theatre of memory. I sometimes find comfort in that ephemeral treasury, though it slips quickly away and streams into the backwaters of mind, never more to be found. It is for me a painful and grim joke to gaze back at the gift that I had, when it was taken for granted, its worth unrealised and unappreciated. Now, too late, I wished it were again mine. But I know you cannot define your life by what's gone, rather by what's initiated. So I will look forward to reaping what's planted, and for that fresh start, I can only feel glad. What made you write that one? I very much think in, at times about people that I knew and that are no longer around uh, who influenced me and were kind to me when uh, I miss, or ideas sometimes that come to me that I want to develop and sometimes I just feel to develop them and then and they're gone, as I, as I said. So, so basically, I think that looking back is as it has its pleasures and also its, its pains. But it's very important to know 
that there's always something to look forward to and something to, to, to pursue in the, in the present and in the near future. So this was a, a poem for you, more a reflection about life, wasn't it? Yes, very much so. Very much so. Now, everyone, I'm going to read um, another one of Steve's poems, and it's called Washington Square. Now, when Steve and I were chatting about putting this podcast together, I looked at his book and I explained to Steve that my late mother, who was born in Manhattan, she would have walked across Washington Square. So, and I've been to Washington Square. So when I said to Steve, I would like to read some of your poems, the first one that jumped to mind was Washington Square. So I'm going to read it purely from a nostalgic point of view, from being in Washington Square and knowing that my late mother and her sister and her brother and her mother and father walked through that square as well. So it's very poignant to me. He said to me just before we came on, I knew you were going to pick that one and I wasn't going to let him read it. (laughs) (laughs) And the band played on, jazz sweetened the air in Washington Square Park, rocking to a pre-COVID beat. You and I had a first-class seat, sitting on that bench until dark. That day was an answer to a prayer, to see the many in marathon jubilation, a covenant of renewed life from a nightmare of death, a rebirth of human spirit that never surrenders, even in the face of the pale rider's din. And now we no longer hear it, greeting each passerby with every breath, alive again in shared celebrity mood. Is this you talking about coming out of COVID, the pandemic, and being free to talk to people again and interact? At that time, COVID was still very strong. Mm. And my wife and I, Felt we had to get out of the house. We did. Went down to Washington Square. And to see the people there interacting and still carrying on life, it was very important for us because there was so much death around us. And so much had, had was gone that to see some of this come back again gave us hope for the future. You know, um, when my mother and her siblings were alive, well, particularly my uncle and um my aunt, who were older than my mother, they when they went to school, they would come up along 7th Avenue, everybody, they'd cross into Washington Square and they would cross over and they would end up walking up 5th Avenue. And I can always remember, everybody, that they would tell us the story, that's myself and my brother, my sister, that they would watch the Empire State Building going up as they walked to school. Huh? Huh? That's an experience. It is an experience. And it's something that, um, you know, when my brother and I, you know, we visited New York or in supplications, we can envisage, you know, um, you know, the, the generation that went before us, you know, walking up these streets and watching, you know, the buildings going up. Um, and my um, late uncle, he could often recall he would go swimming in the uh, River Hudson. Oh. You wouldn't do it nowadays. 
No. <laughs> Don't think so. No. So this is why, you know, I, I love uh, Steve Watchtill's poetry. It's all about life in general, but the life on the streets of New York, where he comes from. Thank you for that. Steve, would you care to read Archimedes to us? Very much so. Thank you. Archimedes, master mathematician, transported by his theory, proclaimed, give me a lever, a place to stand, and I'll move the world. Move the world? What a notion. Hard enough to move yourself, let alone this spinning type of top of billions. But Archimedes had a wonderful madness. It's his method that was wrong. Move the world? Forget a lever. Better use a poem or a song. Why this one? Archimedes fascinated me. I read about him in school, of course, and sometimes even later a little bit. And he was a brilliant man. And his idea was was was, uh, was daring, very daring idea he had. Uh, thinking about it, though, I realized that the idea of moving the world, truly moving the world, you need to have something that strikes a number of people and that they really relate to. I think poems and songs have that. So I think that's a better way of moving the world. What would you say to people who don't like poetry? It'll like. No, basically, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, would, I would say to them, because I've run into people like that. I know people like that. And I say to them, what about poetry turns you off? Is it that you can't understand it? Is it that the... The wording is is, uh, is false to you somehow. What is it that, that, that turns you off about it? And someone can, can tell you that it's the ideas just don't, don't catch for them. So others will, will say uh, that they were forced to read it in school and they hated it because of that. And it carried over into their life, later lives also. So I think you need to give things a chance at different times of your life. In other words, something may be distasteful to you one point of your life, Another point of your life, if you give another chance, sometimes it catches for you. So I encourage them to, to try it again. So when you write your poems, do you find it very peaceful, very spiritual, very um, comforting? Most of the time, I'd say it is comforting and it is spiritual. Uh, sometimes it's frustrating because you can't get the word that you really need. But overall, when you look at what's completed, when you look at it, it's almost like Michelangelo looking at what he did out of marble. It's just an idea in your head and, and you chip away at it and it creates something from it. And that's very comforting in many ways. You know, when I looked at the next poem that you're about to read, I thought, hmm, the brotherhood of strangers who unshell for him with amused, smiles and gently shaking heads. I thought, I'm glad you chose this one to read because um, I, I love it. I was deciding, you know, I'm going to read this one, but then I saw Washington Square and thought, no, Washington Square. Yeah. Would you care to read us Marty? I'd love to. Marty leads the charge into his world, carrying me on his broad shouldered belief, the guide in the jungle. He sees beyond the boundaries I've set to survive, sees waves of flowers in a junkyard lot, the brotherhood of strangers, excuse me, one shelter him with amused smiles and gently shaking heads that wonder at the wisdom of a fool who schools us all in a method that's mad to reject. It's the nicest day, he trumpets, like Gabriel, 
clutching candy bar caviar in one hand, the other embracing all the world's sweet secret light. I can see only through his eyes. What was the concept but, behind that one for you? Marty, sorry, Marty was a patient of mine. And uh, he struggled with a lot of things and he was uh, good to work with. And he died too, too early, died too young. And uh, I felt that it was in some way of, of giving him life again to, to, to write about him and to write what I remember about him. It was very painful for you, wasn't it, writing this? Yes, it was. Do you think Marty would be very proud of what you've said? I think he would have liked it. Uh, he, he sometimes would come to the office and say, uh, am I the commander-in-chief, that kind of thing. So it was some ways he looked at himself unrealistically, obviously, but also he had pride in himself, which I think was very important. I want to um, go to another one of your poems, Steve. And I think I know what you're getting at here. And it's headed up change, everybody. I'm going to read it. They're taking down the statues, the statues of once upon a time heroes, who have suddenly become zeros. For their beliefs and acts that used to be sacred now become an abhorrence. Well, times change and metal rusts, and those who now sleep in the dust are revealed as thieves whose performance stole hope and freedom and the future from men and women whose only crime perhaps has been there or here at the wrong time, victims of some nefarious pursuer. They're putting up statues of forgotten heroes, men and women of all shapes and hues, who were giants almost magically infused, with visions so ethereal that there rose their beacon, their purest sun, to illuminate the path to a brighter day, when all people can join hands and say, we are all different, yet one. This, I think, you're referring to um, some of the statues that have been removed in public places because of the tracing back to the history of the slave trade and tracing back to, um, you know, America's past, you know, with, you know, African, you know, black African communities, uh, issues there. And this is what you're talking about, isn't it? It's removing those old statues and putting up new ones. That is certainly the influence for that. Uh, basically, I think people can also be judged, or a nation can be judged, not only by its villains, but also by its heroes. Uh, if, if your hero is someone who oppressed others, who stole life from others, who stole joy from others, I think it says things about your, your nation that need correction. And I think taking down some of those statues is, is a start of correction in that direction. And putting up, putting up new ones of people who influenced us and, and, and really, really, if, and is feel better about ourselves, I think is important too, because if a statue is up, you can point to that and, and start to tell somebody the story behind that statue. And I think that's part of what we need in, in these times, especially. Because if I'm right, I think some of the statues that were taken down were um, linked to the Confederacy, weren't they? 
Some of them were, yes, absolutely. Yes. Not bad for not bad for a British person to talk about that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> this is true. <laughs> see, see what time can do. <laughs> yeah, well, I've interviewed lots of American authors and who've been talking about the history of America, and I've learned so much by doing these podcasts about America's history, the Confederacy, um, you know, the um, discrimination, uh, the racism, uh, all sorts of things. And it's been wonderfully eye-opening, believe you me. Um, I absolutely loved the next poem that I'm about to read, everybody. And it's headed up, vocalised. Your voice rides the summer breeze and plays among the summer leaves then gently pleasures my ears. But I find the beauty paints with tears. My face, looking back across the years, we were together in nights like this when I would treasure each kiss. From the bounty house of your love, yes, you have gone to some place of your new dream of sweeter life. You always laughed when asked to be my wife, saying, let us rejoice in today's feast. Forever is too far away and joy decreased. Now in tomorrow's worries can never be reclaimed. So let us take our pleasure and let the future bring what it may. And now the future has taken you away, leaving me only the haunting memory of your voice and the cold comfort of fragile reverie. It's a very sweet, endearing poem, and it's obviously, it's a, you reflecting. It's a reflecting poem, isn't it? It is. In, also, the interesting thing about this is that when I was growing up, we had to write an essay each week for school. And I was having trouble with that. And I said to my mother, you know, I can't, I can't write this. I don't know. I don't know this. I said, well, it doesn't have to be true. You know, you can write, make up a story. And I said, wow, I always felt it had to be true. And then I learned from that to make up things. So this is part personal experience, but also part experience of others that have shared with me. And, uh, it's it's put together from that. It's amazing. I loved it. And that's Thank why I, I wanted to read it. That and Washington Square, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so I could tell you that, yes, I have American roots. <laughs> uh, Steve, though you've written books, you know, written children's books, you know, this isn't the only poetry book that you've written. What's next for you, you know, is there more books coming down the line? Spill the beans here. Yes, sir. Uh, I have three children's books that are being published, hopefully in the near future. They're still working on them. The publisher's still working on them. I've written, uh, besides that, uh, three others that uh, have been rejected so far. So I'm looking to see if that those can be accepted somewhere. And I write almost every day. So I write poetry almost every day. And I'm working different children's books every day. And uh, I think that a writer must write. If a writer doesn't write, then basically you're going to dry up. I had a two-year period where I couldn't write anything. And it was a very, very painful period. 
So when that was over and I was able to write again, I said to myself, you must push yourself each day to write. You can't expect that it's going to just jump into your head suddenly. You must write every day, try to write every day. So I do that. And so hopefully there'll be more books coming out. And uh, if not, then at least I have the joy of writing them. Let's hope I get the opportunity to interview you about them. I would like that. Who would you, so would I, who would you, um, who do you see as your market, Steve? You know, who do you want to read your books? Are you, are they aimed at men, women, um, young people, old people, uh, people who are, you know, different um, race? Uh, do you think your, your poems are for everybody, basically? Poems are for everybody because I know that different people, I, I share my poems sometimes on Facebook. And I've gotten uh, people talk to me about it and tell me they like it and why they like it. And they're all different backgrounds. They're all different ages. And uh, I think that poetry does that. Children's books, obviously, are more, uh, you want the more to, children to relate to them. Some adults can, can also, obviously. But you want the children to relate to them. So books are a little bit different. But the poetry, I think, is, 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 is everybody can relate to that. There you go. Where can people get your books from, Steve? Uh, they can get them from, uh, well, X, it's from particularly Ex Libris. Uh, they can also get them from, from, from Amazon, of course, Barnes & Noble. Uh, I don't have a website right now. It's under construction. I had one. I wasn't pleased with it. So I'm trying to get some help to do, do it better next time. So that's not up yet. But those are the main sources to get my books. There you go, everybody. That was Steve Watchell, and that is his poetry book, Sandlot Poet. There are 64 free uh, verse poems in there. Uh, all sorts of things about life. Some are reflective, some aren't. Some are uh, what's going on in the world. But for a New Yorker like Steve, a lot of them are what he sees on the streets of New York as he walks along the streets and what he sees from his window, what he sees from sitting in a park in New York. And that's, that's his life. Sitting, observing, watching, and then putting those observations into poetry. And it's very clear that he does it brilliantly, having read his book, Sandlot Poets. So my recommendation to you all is go and have a look at his book, Sandlot Poet because it is just beautiful. Thank you, John. Steve, thank you very much. It's a great pleasure, thank you. And it was likewise. I'm JT Crowley. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you're in the world. Until next time, stay safe.